Price, that's the number one technical indicator. You do best by investing for the longer term. If you can't explain what the business is doing, then that is a huge red flag. Some technological change is going to put you out of business. It really is a genuinely extraordinary situation. Hello, everyone. I'm Ed Gotham, and welcome to Opto Sessions, where we interview the top traders and investors from around the world, uncovering their secrets to success. Today, I've had the pleasure of interviewing Rob Koifman, a former Wall Street veteran and founder and CEO of Koifin. Koifin is a financial data and analytics platform for researching stocks and understanding market trends. It really is an exceptional tool, which I use myself on a daily basis now, which is particularly good for those who like digging into the fundamentals behind stocks or comparing the performance of different stocks uh, or sectors or themes uh, over different time periods. We discuss Koifin in detail in the interview and finish by digging into Rob's investing process with examples of how he uses Koifin himself. After the interview, if you're interested in using Koifin, you can sign up for a free account at koifin.com. I promise you won't be disappointed. Enjoy. Hi, Rob. How are you doing today? Good, Ed. Thanks for having me on. Really excited for this conversation. No problem at all. Am I right in saying you're uh, calling from New York? Uh, I'm actually in Miami for several weeks. My wife and I had our first baby in November and she has maternity leave and I can work from anywhere. So uh, we actually booked this trip before Miami uh, got to be a very popular place on FinTwit and Twitter. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Sorry, could you explain that about how is it popular on FinTwit? Is there what startups and... Oh, yes. Sorry. Sometimes when you're on Twitter, you feel like the whole world is on on Twitter. But uh, (laughs) so on, um, on Twitter in like November and December... All of a sudden, um, a bunch of VCs started saying, let's leave San Francisco, move to Miami. And then the mayor of, of Miami kind of responded and said, hey, I'll do anything you guys want to ensure that you have a great environment here. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. And so he met with a bunch of prominent kind of VCs. There's been kind of, uh, I don't know if exodus is the right word, but there's definitely been uh, people moving uh, from uh, San Francisco and other parts of the country to Miami and, and trying to start this little uh, hub of a, of a startup community here. And uh, some people from Fintwit, uh, some investors have moved here as well. So so Koifin has moved to Miami, is it, or not yet? Just for several weeks. So just here for, for a couple of weeks, and then we'll see. I've always wanted to get out of New York and, and kind of move somewhere warmer, but not sure if it's Miami or somewhere else. Nice. And what's the attraction about Miami uh, for everyone? I mean, I think it's the warm weather is number one. Yeah, okay, okay. And price, I suppose, in comparison to San Francisco, right? Yeah, so, you know, compared to San Francisco, anything is cheap. Miami is relatively cheap. Yeah. Um, I'd say it's it's a really good travel hub, so you could really kind of go, if people ever travel again, <laughs> um, could uh, go to Europe pretty easily and, and other parts of the country. Yeah. Um, so the, the state taxes come up a lot in terms of people not paying state taxes, although if you're like a rich VC from San Francisco, I'm not sure why you're concerned about state taxes. <laughs> And um, what's the situation like there at the moment in terms of, I suppose, the COVID stuff still sort of going on? Yeah, so it's a little bit more relaxed than in New York. So restaurants are, are more open and you can eat inside with a mask. Um, and indoors, um, most people wear masks, but uh, because there, there's just so much outdoor activity to do, um, like on the beach, you're able to socially distance without wearing a mask. So um, life feels a little bit uh, kind of more normal than it does in, in New York. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then life in New York felt much better in the summer than it did in the spring or in the winter. Um, so I think it's the fact of warm weather and outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are things in London? We're actually in full on lockdown at the moment. 
man. And we'll, it looks like we will be for at least another month and a half. It got pretty bad, actually, recently. In fact, the worst it's been. So it, the numbers are coming down now, but it was this new strain that sort of instigated this new exponential rise, basically, in, in cases and obviously deaths as well um, later on. And it, it seems, it appears like we're on the, you know, the better side of the curve now. It's, it's still sort of dangerous environment at the moment, which is not ideal, but hoping by sort of, you know, spring, summer, the warm weather would make it a lot better. Yeah. Oh, man, that's, uh, that's tough. Uh, these, these vaccines can't come soon enough, huh? I know. Yeah. So uh, back to the stock market, which is also incredibly uh, interesting at the moment. There's a lot of chatter on the on, on Twitter at the moment. It feels like 1999 again. Uh, I actually I wasn't uh, investing in the stock market through that, so I, I, I can't directly compare it. But I'm sure um, you've had some experience in that sort of area. There's some ridiculous moves for all purposes, garbage stocks, such as um, GME, AMC. Uh, I'm actually seeing today that um, AMC is currently up down, I think, 61%. GME is down 25%. Black Brief down 40. Uh, they all seem to be coming back today off the back of meteoric sort of rises. But retail interest has, has exploded over the last year, particularly down to sort of accessibility, I think, from apps such as Robinhood, et cetera. Uh, and also interest in derivatives has exploded, options, contracts. Just want to ask you, what do you think about this uh, new behavior from retail investors? Is this the new normal? Oh man, there's a lot to unpack there. So yeah, so I was uh, I was in high school in '99, and I think I, I bought my first stock in '98 or '99. It was called CMGI, and that that was a stock that went from like two dollars to like eight hundred dollars and back to two cents. <laughs> so definitely, definitely was there uh, in that mania part of the cycle. I think a couple of points that you asked about. So first of all, I think it's great uh, that individuals have access to to the market and apps like Robinhood and the fact that commissions are now zero make it just much easier for, for other people to participate in the market. Um, so I think um, having that ability for individuals to participate and to really uh, experience investing uh, and to take on that risk themselves without uh, farming it out to an advisor, I think that's great. I'm really glad that that's happening and I hope uh, it persists for a long period of time. Um, you know, In terms of similarities, there's definitely a feel of excess um, with some of these valuations. I would say it is not like it is in 98-99. In 98-99, you literally had um, a whole uh, chunk of the market uh, going up, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 X w- without having any, not only earnings, they didn't have any sales. So it was, you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the term market value to clicks. So that was kind of how how things were being valued and like, oh, this, com- this company has like a lot of clicks. They'll figure out a way to generate sales and they'll figure out a way to generate earnings eventually. Um, so, so I think it was, it was, there was a lot more, much more excess, uh, in, in 98 and 99 versus today. However, uh, looking at some of the moves, uh, that we've seen over the past couple of weeks and, and some of the activities and options and, and some of the valuations, which have gotten a little bit more stretched or more stretched than before things are, you know, th- things are definitely, um, a little bit, let's say more bullish or, uh, more frothy as, as someone, maybe someone would describe, but, um, you know, I, I don't think with, with this stuff, I think it continues much longer than people expect. Um, and I think given the macro environment and, and the uh, central bank kind of cycle where we are today, um, this is probably it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue for a little bit longer, for uh, a lot longer than, than some people expect calling the top right now. Yeah, yeah. But this sort of um, euphoria behind certain stocks is not, uh, it's not even euphoria, it's just like the retail investors banding together and going all in on, on specific stocks as a community. Because I don't think there's ever been... This many retail traders probably in the stock market, not only just due to population increases, but because of accessibility has opened it up to everyone. So it's like new ground, really. And it'd just be interesting to see if this is behavior that exists in the stock market that isn't really down to any sort of fundamentals, which is what, you know, prices has never been purely based on fundamentals anyway, but it's got it's sort of gone to an extreme. And whether or not 
this, you know, some people will now trade this, a strategy going forward now that would be just to latch on to uh, the ones that the crowd goes behind. Yeah. So it's really interesting over the past, obviously, a couple of days and weeks, uh, you've had these these uh, really interesting situations with with uh, Reddit um, and investors banding together. Um, I'd say it's a very special case that's gonna that's not gonna persist. Um, I, I don't think a year from now we're gonna be talking about kind of like where is Reddit gonna be hunting next, um, and and that's because uh, GameStop was a was a really unique situation in that you had incredibly high short interest. You had short interest over one hundred percent, and so the reason you're able to have short interest over one hundred percent is when somebody shorts a stock, they sell the stock. And then whoever buys the stock, that person can then lend out those shares to be shorted again. So it's sort of like like fractional banking where there's reserves and then there's actually total money supply, which is which is a multiplier effect. So short interest works the same way. Um, and, and you had this incredibly high short interest in the stock and, and you had real um, fundamental reasons why um, the bull case w- was actually getting stronger uh, in terms of management changes, in terms of the company pivoting uh, towards towards more online sales, and in terms of this this gaming cycle that was coming up. Um, and I'd say when the stock went from you know three or four dollars to twenty dollars, that was sort of the more more fundamental reason why it did that. Um, you know why it went from twenty to one hundred to now four hundred or five hundred, whatever wherever it is now. I think that was a, a, a very technical uh, reason behind it, which is. Kind of this this really high short interest. The fact that uh, you had this community uh, of of Reddit users identifying the situation, um, and I think what's what's not mentioned, what's really really important. I think you just have a lot of traders and investors and CTAs now following this trend and amplifying the trend. And so I think in the short term, they're going to be using this Reddit signal as a way to pile on. I think longer term, um, that signal is going to be arbed out. Um, and I think a year from now, when the Reddit community says, "Hey," Um, you know, let's buy this stock and let's drive it up. Um, I think there's going to be too many people that are trying to to arb that out uh, for it to really matter. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. So the smart money adapt to the new behavior eventually and be able to sort of you know do their normal business on it, reacting quicker than the retailers traders potentially. Is there anything you think? So we uh, you discussed sort of briefly this. You know, the, the general market trend is up at the moment. If we just disregard you know some of this euphoria in, in certain stocks. Um, and you know it looks very bullish. Do you think this is a new bull market that's sort of starting, or you know, there's so much many people that think already that this is just a ridiculous rise, but uh, there's other people that you know are saying that you know this is it's already a new bull market that started already that people just aren't aware of. Yeah, I'm in the new bull market camp, and and obviously you know um, who knows what's going to happen in the future. But I'm you know if you look at the the market over the the last you know, 50, 60, 70 years. One of the biggest things that drive cycles is is Fed policy, uh, which leads to liquidity and leverage. And so based on what we know today, the Fed isn't likely to raise rates until 2024 at the earliest. Um, so that's that's sort of a, what the what the market is applying right now, what uh, funds rates are applying right now. So given that, and then historically, that bull markets just kind of continue um, until the Fed starts tightening liquidity, you're in the situation where the Fed is trying to correct one thing, which is unemployment and some of the real imbalances in the economy. And the market is really uh, anticipating or being driven by this by this liquidity rush that's going into it. So I think at some point, the Fed will have to recognize that the fact that these valuations in the market are, are going up and that's unsustainable and that's going to present some uh, some risks to the real economy. 
I don't think they could ignore it forever. Um, and it'll be interesting how they handle it. Uh, probably not with high rates. They'll probably try and handle it with regulation mm-hmm. or, or tightening um, certain restrictions or trading restrictions or whatever it is. But that's going to that's gonna come to a head at some point, and it'll be interesting how they handle it. But I do think that uh, we're in a new bull market. Um, I think, you know, ever since I started following stocks, it's always really easy to say like, oh my God, stocks have gone up like this. How much further can they go? And the one thing I've learned is, um, you know, these trends persist way longer than than uh, what most people anticipate. So yeah. I'm in the camp of riding the trend until it stops. Yeah, of course. And in the short to medium term, do you think there's anything that could, you know, um, stop this momentum for a little bit before it, you know, continues? Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of things that can stop this momentum. I think kind of like in this uh, bull market trend, uh, there's going to be pullbacks that are sort of, you know, five to fifteen percent uh, in the overall market. And obviously, much larger. Uh, there's going to be really big rotations that happen, and, and really kind of um, hurt some investors who crowd into a factor or crowd into a trade. Um, and you sort of saw that happening with the short interest factor. Um, you saw that happen with yeah. kind of tech and, and, and small cap with with that reversal. Uh, you saw it happen with value and growth. Um, so I think there's going to be a bunch of rotations that happen as well. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of kind of like what are the known unknowns that could stop this market or that could cause a pullback? I think geo, geopolitical things, geopolitical risks are are uh, obviously the, the world is it seems like getting crazier and crazier or more polarized. Yeah, and so that's that's I think always uh, a risk. I think the new uh, Biden administration. I think there's gonna there's gonna be uh, kind of some some new policies that will be digested by the market um, in terms of regulation, in terms of uh, regulation of, of the energy sector and the financial sector. But I think kind of like the unknown unknowns are, are the real risk. And what we learned over the past year, like if we were sitting here a year ago, we said, what are the risks of the market? It's like. You know, this stuff is so hard to predict. So yeah, the, the million things that could go wrong. Yes, yeah, of course. Awesome. And I think it's about time just to get a, a quick introduction to yourself and your background. It'd be great. To, you've had a quite a long career in finance, and uh, it'd be great to know, you know, just a sort of a quick overview of, of where you've been and, and what you specialize in. Yeah. So um, I started my uh, my finance career in Goldman Sachs Research. I was covering single stocks. I was covering the real estate sector. And then I transitioned over to the portfolio strategy group at Goldman Sachs. And that's where we started looking across the market to identify sector trends, thematic trends. And that gave me a much broader introduction to to other sectors versus kind of the the single sector focus that I had before. Um, And so I was there for about six years. Uh, I moved to London to be at a a prop desk. uh, So I was kind of on the investment side uh, for a while. I then moved back to Citigroup where I worked on the trading desk and I was taking thematic ideas and uh, basically expressing them via ETFs, baskets, and options. Uh, We were doing that internally through a book that we were managing and also um, externally talking to clients and pitching them trades. So that was was a really interesting experience. And then after that, I worked at several hedge funds. So on the buy side. As an active trader or investor or? or Yeah, so so my my last, um, so I was at sort of three buy side shops. Uh, One was was Caxton, which is a a macro fund. uh, And there I was more of an analyst to to some of the portfolio managers. Then uh, I had a job at Luxor Asset Management, which is the buy side arm of SockGen. And that was more of a strategy role. And then I worked at a, a smaller hedge fund called Techni Capital. TMT Longshore Fund, and I basically worked with the portfolio manager uh, to do everything that uh, you know, kind of across the board, uh, risk management and options trading and macro analysis and single stock analysis, and so that was a fun job because I, I got to do a bunch of different things. Yeah, and have you um, managed your own sort of portfolio throughout your whole 
sort of career or is it something you've done more recently or how's that sort of worked out? I always invest in the market. Um, I'd say when I was on Wall Street, um, I had a lot of restrictions on what I can buy and sell in the holding periods. Um, so I typically only owned uh, long-term ETFs or, or stocks that I, I didn't want to uh, trade or I wouldn't trade around in. Yeah. And then uh, since uh, after I left Wall Street and uh, didn't have those restrictions, I had less money to to trade with uh, because I started uh, Coifin and that sort of sucked up a lot of my financial resources. But I had much more flexibility in terms of uh, smaller amounts. So obviously no, no holding period and no restrictions. So I do still uh, invest and trade. I think it's a lot of fun. It makes me sort of be in tune with what's going on in the market, forces me to use our platform and, and really kind of go through that workflow. But I love being in the market and I think it's great. It's really challenging. Uh, it's really rewarding. Uh, it's very intellectually yeah. uh, stimulating to kind of think about all this stuff. Mm, yeah. And uh, I suppose we'll come on to Coifin in a bit, but I think it shows that um, your experience throughout your career is like it shows with the feet, you know, how user friendly it is to the customers you're trying to target and how, um, innovative it is in certain areas as well because there's a lot of features that you just can't get anywhere else and so we'll we'll roll through those in a bit but um throughout your career was there one place that you thought you learned the most about investing trading for yourself like these sort of learnings i'm not sure if one is more important than the other um i'd say i had the uh the the good fortune and also the curse of of being in in a lot of different groups uh Kind of for my career history, you could tell that I can't keep a job. <laughs> but what uh, what it gave me exposure to is a lot of different areas of, of how to look at the market. So um, in the beginning of my career, sort of traditional finance, traditional equity research, where I go through a balance sheet and income statement, you know, understand all the different accounting metrics. I I got my CFA uh, during that time. Um, sort of the middle of my career when I started. Um, Shifting over to the buy side, one of the things that I that I learned at Caxton, which was hugely valuable, was technical analysis. And when when I uh, when I was in, in research, if you told me kind of like if you said technical analysis, I would sort of laugh at you and I'd, I'd be like ha 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 voodoo ha ha ha. Uh, you're just not smart enough to get a finance degree. Um, and and really kind of like when you go and you sit with macro traders, what they do is ninety percent technical analysis and ten percent macro analysis. And so at a certain point, uh, one of them convinced me, or I was convinced that technical analysis is actually something that that's very powerful. And that there's a lot of information of what the market is in the price and, and how the price is trending. That was really key. Um, I'd say the experience at Citigroup with options was really interesting because, you know, options are one of these things. It's like an onion, could peel it uh, a million different ways. I'd say most people use options uh, kind of like the way that most people use options on Robinhood is just for the delta, for the directional moves. But there's so much more to options in terms of uh, all the other Greeks and, and creating a portfolio. So options are a lot of fun because it's really like playing three-dimensional chess uh, when when sort of the stock market is is, is one-dimensional. Yeah. The the last thing I'd say is like towards the end of my career, just an appreciation for risk management and portfolio construction. So, mm-hmm. you know, all those things I think are are uniquely important. I don't think one is more important than the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's fair. So let's um let's start a conversation about your company Coifin, which focuses on in-depth data and analytics of the financial markets. In your own words, can you? Can you describe what Coifin is and also its sort of mission, what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, so we're a financial data and analytics platform. So we help investors uh, research stocks, uh, understand market trends. And basically, our mission is to equip every investor in the world, no matter what the size, with the best data and tools, and empower them to achieve more. And that was that was a mission that we actually came up with uh, over the past several months as we thought about our brand um, and kind of what we stand for. But basically, we, we want to help investors understand the market and to make money. 
and the problem we're trying to solve and the problem that I saw after I left the hedge fund I was at and started trading on my own, investing on my own, is you have this kind of world or you still have it today and even more so four years ago where there was a huge dichotomy with what individuals had access to, which is like Yahoo Finance and the tools from their broker and what professionals had access to, which is kind of the Bloomberg's of the world. And there was not a lot of stuff in the middle. Um, And and additionally, all the kind of like Bloomberg platforms and, and all the other professional platforms, they were built 30 years ago and they they haven't really been updated since then because there's a lot of technical debt there um, and there's a lot of users that are already used to those platforms. So yeah. what I thought there was an opportunity for was to create a platform that basically did three things. Number one is to provide high quality professional grade data to the user and not just for equities, but across the entire market. So uh, for ETFs and mutual funds and commodities and FX and economics. Um, the second thing is to provide the analytics to turn that data into information. So we've created all our own charting tools, dashboarding tools, screening tools, uh, scatter plots, uh, because we want to provide those tools for the users so that they don't have to take that data and put it into Excel. And the third thing is we're, we're really obsessed with an uh, intuitive user interface and, and uh, uh, making sure that our platform is uh, beautiful, it's easy to use. Um, and it's it's accessible. I've been using it the last uh, six six months to a year, I think. It's probably a year now to say it. And it's definitely my favorite platform that I use to sort of analyze uh, stocks, both on a fundamental and, and sort of technical basis. It really helps um, in the complexity when c- trying to compare different stocks against each other. Uh, you've got very good comparison tools there. And also just the top-down nature you can approach it from as well. Like, you know, you're covering, you've got so much data global data on stock markets, how they're trending uh, and different sectors in, in those countries, et cetera, which enable you to find, you know, trends that um, might be ones you, people would be interested in. So yeah, I highly recommend it. And who do you think gets the most out of, like, as, as a user, who, who is it most likely designed for? Yeah, so uh, a couple of ways to answer that. So kind of like, I'd say the first thing is, because of that dichotomy with professional retail, and I felt this unnecessary separation, I thought the opportunity for us was not to kind of like pick one side or the other, just to say, hey, the opportunity is because platforms traditionally have focused on one or the other, yeah. which doesn't make all that much sense if you if you think about the use cases of professionals and the use cases of, of individuals. Um, what we um, aim to do is to create a platform that's built for professionals, but available to individuals. And so we have a lot more functionality, a lot more data, uh, a lot more analytics than you would find on a, on a typical kind of a, a financial website. Um, in terms of kind of like segmenting our users, there's a couple of interesting groups. Uh, so number one is definitely the, the biggest segment of users that we have are fundamental investors. So fundamental stock investors. And we have, we have really good uh, valuation data. We have great analyst estimates and, and consensus data. So a big portion of our user base are those that are looking at stocks and looking at, at equities. The second group of users are those that are focused on stocks and other asset classes. So they'll look at fixed income, they'll look at ETFs or mutual funds. And so like financial advisors would fall into that category. They're looking across the market. Yeah. And then the third group of users are more the macro users and they're using us more for like the economic data, more the top-down data, because we have a, a good data set for that as well. So those are kind of the different segments um, for us right now that are important in that order, uh, in sort of that order of importance. And um, how many users have you currently got? And can you share growth rates over the last year, et cetera? Yeah, so we're, we're at about 170,000 users right now. We've quadrupled wow. uh, over the past year. That's incredible. And it's have you seen, I assume, a lot more uptake given the, the last year's incredible volumes online for people that are interested in investing and, and what just people, the quantity of people in, in the market is, is, is grown. 
Yeah. So, you know, that's definitely helped us. I'd say there's been a couple of tailwinds for us that we've benefited from. One is this kind of shift and uh, more individual investors in the market. Although I'd say there's a fraction of people that want a platform like Coifin. Um, I'd say a lot of individual investors that come to the market, they're happy with the Robinhood account where yeah, okay. you look at a chart and there's no Y-axis labels and they're happy with just kind of looking at that. Uh, but there is a portion of users that say, hey, I kind of want to understand what a stock is. I want to go into the financials. I want to think about the valuation. I want to compare it versus other stocks. And so those users are the ones that come to Coifin or will find Coifin. I'd say the the second thing uh, that's happened is because everyone is working from home now. Um, previously, a lot of investors would be like sharing a Bloomberg in the office or sharing resources in the office. And now they're sitting at home and they don't have that shared Bloomberg. So that's that's caused a lot of um, a lot of people to search for alternatives. Yeah, okay. Um, and so we've had a lot of professional investors find Coifin because of that. Interesting. And um, is Coifin? Would you say? I mean, it, it's obviously um, uh, changed over time a lot. But initially, is, was Coifin built around your sort of personal ex- experience in analyzing investing in the financial markets? But the features, platform uh, areas such as lots of charts and stuff. Where do these ideas come from? Are they from the community or are they from you and your team? Yeah, it's it's definitely, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was 100% kind of like my idea and, and, and Rich is my idea, Rich is my co-founder. Um, and slowly that that percentage is shifting with more uh, more ideas coming from the community. Uh, and more importantly, we're seeing how users are using the platform and then innovating and, and thinking about new features based on that. But, but yeah, l- lots of charts is something that I was doing for myself when I was working at a hedge fund. <laughs> uh, I would basically take all the charts uh, that I was looking at from my Bloomberg and I would create PDFs out of them and I would flip through the PDFs. Um, yeah, yeah. And so it's pretty cool when you're working at a, at a startup like ours, when you say, hey, well, like, why don't we just build this feature into Coifin, uh, whatever it is. So, so a lot of it, uh, lots of charts, like uh, market scatter, like I, I think I think scatter plots, XY plots are a really useful way to really look at outliers mm. and to look at trends. So that's something that that we built early on. Uh, the fact the factor page is something that we built early on as as, as uh, you know just looking at which factors are performing well in the day, and that's uh, been very well received by our users. So um, I'd say initially, I definitely built the platform for myself, um, thinking there's others like me that that would like that functionality. Uh, today, there's there's more input um, and kind of yep. more user influence on what we're going to be building and what we are building. And there's so much information uh, available in the platform. Where would you recommend is a good place to start, um, with, you know, towards, you know, you need some sort of repeatable process, I suppose, uh, to, you know, what, what should people be checking when they come into Coifin to get a good grounding of how the market's doing? Yeah, so um, let's say there, there's three paths uh, that you take on Coifin when, when uh, you sign on. And there's, there's sort of three main uh, avenues that you can take. So the first one is really browsing what's going on in the market. So that's done by looking at dashboards that we created for you. So we, we take a dashboard, we put some data into it, and then um, uh, it's a good way to see kind of like what trends are going on. So an example of that would be like the top stock movers page in terms of what stocks are moving on the most volume. Uh, our sectors dashboard, where you can see which sectors are performing or underperforming over different time periods, uh, or global yields is another one. So this is kind of where you would go to browse what's going on in the market. The second path is researching an individual security or stock. So for example, if I wanted to look at GameStop short interest, I could pull that up on a chart uh, for GameStop. Um, if I wanted to look at a snapshot of a stock just to understand what the valuation is, um, I could do that. I could look at the earnings uh, estimate trends uh, for a stock uh, or look at the price target uh, overview for a stock. Um, so that path is looking at a specific stock or a security like a ETF or a mutual fund. 
Um, and then the third path is really customizing uh, a dashboard or customizing a watch list with your own security. So for example, if I wanted to create a, a watch list of the, the payment stocks in the world, I could do that. Um, and then I could create a dashboard with different uh, watch lists and different charts to uh, f- for that to be kind of my space where where I monitor what's going on. Um, and the cool part about the watch list and the dashboards is not only do you create the watch list, you could then import and use the 300 metrics that we have in our system, whether it's earnings growth or valuation or short interest or earnings revisions or whatever it is. And you mentioned something interesting there about the short interest, because uh, I know that's a, a, something I look at as well. But is there a way um, to screen the market for stocks that have high levels of short interest? Is that sort of a feature available yet or not? You know, we, we don't have a traditional screening tool, which is very high on our priority list. Uh, but what we do have is that market scatter tool where you could do an X, Y axis of, of, a, uh, of, a, of a group of stocks. Yeah. So in there... Uh, you, you would go into our market scatter tool. Um, you would basically put short interest as one of the variables for XY, and you would pull it up for like the Russell 1000 or S&P 500 or, or, or your portfolio ETFs. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, and so you could actually see kind of like what are the highest market cap stocks with the short interest? What are the highest value stocks? Which are the stocks that are up the most year to date? I actually looked at this analysis this morning. It's If you look at year-to-date performance versus short interest, um, obviously, huge correlation year to date for for the Russell 1000. So um, it's so our screening tool is really based on that market scatter plot. Um, yeah, very interesting. And uh, what are the the most popular features of Coifin, if you don't mind sort of sharing? No, yeah. Um, so I'd say uh, I'd say the the, the custom dashboards uh, are, are are really what we're known for mm-hmm. and what um, what differentiates us. Um, and one, it's, it's kind of like this really easy drag and drop and easy functionality to create your own dashboard. And then two, kind of like populating it with the different watch lists or different charts that you want to look at. Um, and you could create different chart templates. So you don't have to just look at a price chart. You can look at like, uh, you could put a chart there of, of just three valuation metrics, PE, EBITDA sales and EBITDA EBITDA, and, and be able to drag different stocks into that chart and, and kind of see that. Um, and then also populating your table with all the different securities, uh, all the different financial metrics that you want to look at, you know, valuation, estimate trends, whatever it is. So that, that dashboard tool is, is definitely our bread and butter, and that's what we're known for um, and our biggest differentiator. Awesome. And are you able to share anything about what's next for Coifin? Any major sort of developments or directions you're going in? Um, you mentioned the screener. I think that would be a great addition. I think that's one of the things I still use Finviz for. Um, but yeah, it'd be great to if you had anything you could share on that, or is it all hush hush? <laughs> yeah, so uh, no, 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 we're uh, you know super open. Um, so the things that we're working on uh, now um, are uh, we're going to be releasing transcripts soon, so company transcripts and being being able to see those. Um, there's going to be a bunch of upgrades to uh, dashboards, so just being able to link different widgets um, uh, and and some portfolio uh, feature updates uh, in dashboards. Um, we're going to be introducing comp tables to so being able to do comp analysis uh, pretty easily. Um, and then the screening tool is, is really kind of in our, on our second quarter roadmap, um, as well as introducing paid plans. So we are going to introduce paid plans in the second quarter as well um, and hopefully start generating some revenue. Um, but the screening tool is, is really, really high on our, on our, on our priority list. Um, it's, it's pretty complex to do. And, and the reason we've, we've waited is because we've been adding so much data to our platform but we're now at a good time to to start building that. So we'll have that uh, hopefully in the second quarter. Yeah, it's really good um, to get insight from you on uh, the tool because it's become such a, a part of my daily routine now, um, particularly on the weekends when I do sort of my 
prepare my watch list for the week. Um, there's, a, there's a particular uh, feature that I really like. Uh, you know, you find these random things. That, well, they're not random, but you know, they're not one of your, your main features. It's the fact where you can split out an ETF into its constituents in the lots of charts and then rank those constituents by their, their performance over different time periods, you know, one month, three months, six months. I mean, it saves so much time. I've been trying to do that myself in other platforms and it's, you know, saved a huge amount of time for me to be able to do that. Because I like understanding, you know, if a certain theme is trending well, I'll then get the ETF that's, you know, a good a good sort of like gauge for that theme and then, and then use this to split it out into the, the holdings that are inside it and then look at how those individual holdings have been performing uh, to try to get the ones that, you know, on, on that have the strongest trends. Yeah, I love that workflow and that's exactly how I use it is, um, you know, you, you'd look at an ETF like um, last year. I remember when the the metals rally, precious metals rally was just starting and I looked at the precious uh, metals ETF. Uh, XME and uh, just said, "Hey, what are the strongest stocks in here?" Um, and looked at the at the silver miners and then the gold miners and what are the strongest stocks in here? And you find these stocks and you're like, "Wow, this chart is incredible!" You know, it's like uh, like these beautiful these beautiful beginning of trends that have been consolidations for like multiple years and just starting to break out. Um, and that's that's when you can start doing some fundamental analysis and start reading up on it. And so I love looking at charts as a as a as the beginning and the basis for for then digging deeper into uh, into different investment ideas. So I love that workflow you highlighted. That's exactly the workflow of, of how I use it. We hope you're enjoying the episode. For interviews like this every Thursday, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, make sure you give us a star rating and leave guest suggestions along with any other feedback in the review section. Now. Back to the show. I'd like to move on to now talk about your sort of um, investing trading strategies, if possible. And but in particular, reference like how you use Coifin to support it. I thought it would be an interesting uh, way to sort of like do it. Not every question can be talked about in that, in that sense, but if, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see where we get to. So, um, can you give us an overview of, of how you use Coifin at the moment? Like how, personally, how, how what, what are the ways you use it? I mean, we talked about the lots of charts a few times, but is there a sort of set routine you have when you approach it? Is it just weekly, daily? Yeah, so um, I don't get to uh, use it daily as much as I'd like to. I definitely kind of like go through through my process uh, weekly or, or or maybe a little less frequently depending on, on my workload. Um, I think the lots of charts example you you highlighted is really one of my one of the core things that I do is really if I could abstract that it's really taking kind of like a, a bigger theme. And then diving into the stocks that I think would be the best way to express that theme or, or would have the ultimate leverage to that theme. Um, you know, even if you take kind of like a, not a traditional uh, theme, but if you take these ARC ETFs uh, um, that have been so popular over the past year that have done so phenomenally well, you could really find some high growth stocks in there where, um, you know, stocks that I potentially never heard of where the charts, uh, when the chart hasn't been going up for five years that are maybe just starting to break out. Um, whether it's you know new biotech stock or new payment stocks stuff like that, I typically I, I like to look at like something like the Russell 1000 um, and then kind of like see over the past one month three month uh, year to date what's leading and what's lagging and how's that changing. Uh, so I think that's a, a really interesting kind of like exercise to do to just say wh- what's going on in the market, what are the themes that are working, what are not working, which are turning, which are slowing down. Um, you can also do that with the, the custom-built macro dashboards that we have in Coifin. So, for example, I'll go to the sector dashboard, and I'll just look at the sector performance over the past, again, one month, three month, six month, year to date, and just see, hey, 
uh, am I aware of all these trends? And, and if something is kind of new and interesting, like, why is that happening? Is that, you know, what is the thing that's causing uh, railroads to start performing really well? Um, it's something that I, um, I remember when the market started turning in, or when the market bottomed in, in March, April, obviously no one knew if it bottomed. There was a lot of, a lot of people that said it's going to make a new low and stuff like that. Um, one of the things I noticed was all the, um, all the, all the broker stocks, all the kind of like uh, trading stocks. So like NASDAQ, uh, all the exchange stocks were doing really, really well. Um, yeah. And, 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 and so, um, you know, when you started looking at that and you're starting to kind of like think like, you know, what does this imply for the equity market or equity trading volumes and stuff like that? It really kind of like gives you, uh, an interesting insight into what, what is the market saying? What is the market implying by, by these things outperforming or underperforming? Then there's kind of a key indicators that I'll look at, uh, on my own. Like I think right now, uh, Freeport, McMurray and FCX, is a really, really important stock to track because it's benefited so much from the monetary stimulus that has happened. Um, and it will continue to benefit to the extent that the global central banks continue with their, uh, with their stimulus policies. And so that stock has, has just performed uh, in a straight line. Um, so I think that's going to be one of the first stocks to turn uh, on, a, on a relative basis and an absolute basis. Uh, when there's when the market starts sniffing out that liquidity can can tighten, so um, that that's kind of like one stock um, that I follow in particular. Uh, but really, kind of like those macro dashboards in terms of sectors, uh, countries, uh, currencies, it's it's always just good to poke around, just c- kind of say, hey, what are the trends that are happening, and do I understand why they're happening, and are there any surprises, and what do those surprises mean? Yep. And what you you mentioned um, discovering that broker theme. Did you find that by looking through a thousand charts, the Russell 1000? Is that, is that what you said? You're trying to find, you're writing down the stocks that are clumped together in you know, the good performance. Is that, is that and then saying, okay, these are all brokers. Is that how you're doing it? Yes. So I, I would just look at the Russell 1000 and just look at the like one month performance, um, just, just yeah. to kind of see like, hey, which are the stocks that are outperforming over the past month? We have a sector filter, so you could um, you could break them down by sector yeah. in the lots of charts um, and I, in the market scatter as well. Um, and then I'll, I will, I'll, a lot of times I will put stuff, um, I will create a, a, a dashboard or a new watch list of, of stuff that I'm watching. So for example, in April, I would call it like April longs and I would create a watch list of stocks that I'm watching in April. Um, and I would always, uh, or a lot of times I would use that lots of charts feature to then either take that watch list or to, to look at the stocks that I've identified. Uh, because you really kind of like, if you zoom back, if you look at the one year, three year, five year chart, you really get a sense of like, is the, is the market trying to tell you something? Are there trends that are, that are starting to break and are going the other way? Yeah. Yeah. And my next question was, do you use certain fundamental data to help either find stocks you're interested in or improve your conviction in stocks you might have been you know might have been highlighted in the lots of charts um tool yeah so i um i love looking at um a chart of consensus forward estimates versus the stock price okay Um, so i just you know i i want to find stocks which are uh, obviously uh growing earnings and where earnings estimates are being increased Uh, and so those two things make for, for for really good opportunities um, and so um, I'll use that. What we do is you can you can track you could graph consensus forward estimates every day and look at it versus the stock price, and you'll be able to kind of like see over time are our estimates going up and is the next twelve months going up. So if you look at it for like a company like Shopify or Salesforce, 
uh, that's a nonstop uptrend, right? With, with kind of like them growing earnings and estimates uh, and, and analysts upgrading estimates, increasing estimates. Um, so I, I definitely want to see that in the stocks um, that I'm buying that um, I think are starting to look good. Um, one stock that I've re- recently found kind of like using that and, and from some personal experience from, uh, from Coifin is a company called Upwork, uh, which is basically a marketplace yeah. uh, for all this labor. Um, and as the world gets more used to working remotely, uh, as m- more businesses are being started and uh, people are looking for just freelancers, that's kind of the, the network that companies are using to find their freelancers. So I think like Upwork is a, is a great stock. So when I look at a stock like Upwork, I want to make sure that the next 12 month sales uh, and EBITDA and earnings, if the company's generating earnings are, are all trending in the right direction. So I have a, a graph template. It's basically a graph of all those things that I saved as a template. And I would pull up, I would pull that up for any new stock that I'm looking at. So, and that's in the sort of um, individual stock screen. Is that right? So, and then you're applying a template to it and then changing the stock that you're interested in. Is that, is that right? Yeah. So if you go to our graphs, if you go to graphs, you basically select what you want. So in there, I would select a uh, stock price. I would select uh, analyst estimate sales, analyst estimate EBITDA, analyst estimate EPS. I would graph all those. I would save it as a template. So now that template is saved for those four selections. And I could basically pull up that template with any stock. And I could also put that template in my dashboard so that I can drag any stock from my dashboard into that into that chart right right into the da- right in the dashboard. Yeah, yeah, awesome. I haven't used that yet. So I've written that down. I'm I have to check that I have to check that out after our call. And you used to be head of macro and thematic trading strategy, as you, as you mentioned earlier. And we talked about yeah using themes to map out where the money is moving. How do you look at themes deeper than sector? Is that something you try to sort of grasp from the um, the stocks in Russell one thousand, for example? Like the the broker stocks is, is a bit deeper than financials, or I, I assume that's a sector they're in. Do you do that? And is there a method you used for that? Um, yeah, I, I do have kind of like a, a workflow. Or I do do that. I don't know if it's kind of like a, a direct thing or a specific thing that I do. I'd say for me, what works is looking across assets or looking across kind of the major assets and seeing if there are any trends that I could apply to other assets. So if there's something happening in the fixed income market with, with certain countries' yields, uh, they're doing something, um, I would then kind of like ask the question, is that being reflected or is that trend being uh, reflected as much in the equity market? Um, and so I would do that for uh, fixed income. I, I could do that for FX. I would do that in commodities. Um, so I would sort of look at cross-asset uh, trends that are happening and sort of say, is that tr- why is that trend happening? And if we were to extrapolate that trend to other assets, what would that mean? Um, and so so it's sort of like something, um, it's an iterative process across the different assets using the dashboards that we have on Coifin. Do you go as deep as, you know, an equity theme such as solar or cannabis stocks have been quite interesting recently? Yeah, absolutely. I think those are great themes. Um, I think they're, they're probably less macro themes and, and a, little, a little more thematic. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so like with cannabis, um, obviously that's, um, uh, that's a big theme right now with the new administration. Um, and so that's something that I actually uh, looked at a couple of years ago. And when I looked at it, I was like, wow, this is like the biggest short in the world because none of these companies generate any earnings and they're all valued at like 300 times sales. And so that that ETF actually came down after that. Um, I think a lot of these companies still will never generate and won't be profitable because um, they're not in the right part of the of the supply chain. Um, but there's a, there's a new ETF, uh, I think it's called MSOS that I, that I uh, recently looked at. It's basically um, it's basically the stocks in the U.S. So it's not the Canadian ones 
Uh, and so they're, they're a lot more leveraged uh, to the democratic legislation that's going to be happening here. Um, so that, that's just something that I found by looking at the, at the traditional marijuana sector, MJ, and then kind of like uh, reading up on it and, and saw it mentioned and, and researched that. So, um, you know, Google is a great tool. It's always just fun to read, like seeking out articles or, or blog posts or even Reddit now um, and always kind of pop pop ideas into your head. Um, and for me, I always need the charts to sort of confirm that and to kind of see some uh, momentum building both on the on the price chart and on the fundamental uh, earnings revision side as well. And in terms of, um, do, you, do you try to look at the market in terms of like thematics or trading? And if you do, um, any themes you sort of like, like the look of this this year? I, th- I think the biggest uh, the biggest theme for this year is going to be dollar weakness uh, and, and kind of the, the repercussions of that. I think, um, you know, these, these, these macro themes tend to move in, in 10 to 15 year cycles. And we're just coming off of a, of a 13 year uh, US dollar bull market. So I think there's, there's definitely scope for more dollar weakness. Um, and what that means for, uh, for equities is, is just emerging markets uh, performing uh, much better than they, they have over the past couple of years. Uh, so emerging market strength, uh, you know, strength outside the US, strength in commodities, so that's that's kind of a, one of the biggest themes that I'm looking at. And um, is there any way you use Coifin to, ch- to keep on top of sort of warning signs in the market? Like, if it, for example, you could you could sort of say it's overextended at the moment. Do you use any sort of like you know indicators from you look at indices and, and their general trends and stuff, and certain things would cause you to take caution? This sort of thing. I think it goes back to kind of like that cross asset analysis um, in terms of like um, you have. You know, typically when, when things slow down, you'll have kind of that reflected in the sectors. Um, you also have it reflected in the yields. So yields are, are really good at smelling out weakness. And so you you have yields rise um, pretty significantly before the equity market typically uh, turns around. Um, and that's something that happened last year or about a year ago when, when yields started rising uh, at the end of 2019. Now, obviously, they weren't smelling COVID out, but they were smelling, a, they were sniffing out a, a slowdown in, in sort of the economy. Um, and sort of the the end of the cycle. So um, I'd say looking across assets and, and really understanding um, cross asset performance and what that means for and the implications for the economic cycle and for the equity cycle. I think that's that's pretty important. So um, you could do that in, in macro land, or you could do that in sectors and, and kind of watching sectors and, and seeing what's outperforming and underperforming. I'd say in an environment where financials are outperforming and consumers outperforming, that's not an environment where the market is telling you there's a slowdown coming. Um, if those sectors start underperforming, um, then that's that is potentially, or that that might be one uh, input into hey uh, something might be changing. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks, Rob. Um, we've got a last sort of thing we do at the most um, interviews, which is called the quick fire round. It's just a few questions, um, not looking for a, any long answers. It's just a, a fun thing we do at the end of the interview. <laughs> so there's six questions. I'll just roll through them now, if that's all right. Let's do it. Yeah. The first one is name an investing hero. Uh, so, so one investor that I really like following on, on Twitter again uh, is this guy named Mark Dow. Um, he used to be at a hedge fund called Faro, uh, which uh, has a, a really similar style to what I described before, which is marrying fundamentals and technicals. He's super active on Twitter, shares his thoughts. Um, and I think he's a, he's a really, really good investor. Yeah. Um, so that's the one I would highly recommend for other people to follow. Yeah, perfect. And uh, top tip for your younger self? Uh, to definitely moisturize more every day. 
Um, favorite book? It doesn't have to be an investment uh, trading book. You know, I read The Fountainhead when I was younger, um, and uh, that that book sort of stayed with me. Uh, and I love the the protagonist of that book, Howard Rourke. So long book, but that's one that stuck with me. And an important lesson the market has taught you at some point? Yeah. So you know, in two thousand uh, late late two thousand eight. Early 2009, um, I was I was just starting um, at at, a, at Caxton, um, and I lost a lot of money betting that the market's going to go lower. Um, that's because I had a view, um, and I refused to believe that that view wasn't right. Um, and so that's sort of when I started to think about technical analysis and to really uh, value technical analysis. When when I saw other traders using technical analysis to say, "Hey, something's changing." You can't see that definitively in the data, but the market is telling you that something's changing. Um, and, so, and so for me, that was a big lesson, a very costly lesson, but a, but a great lesson to internalize. Yeah, interesting. And um, Bitcoin, bullish or bearish? Ah, uh, uh, over what time frame? <laughs> long term, long term. Long term. Uh, I'm a Bitcoin skeptic. So uh, I, you know, uh, I, I'm skeptical uh, that, that Bitcoin will retain uh, value. Yeah. Uh, unless there's going to be a very clear use case for it. Um, and so, um, you know, I'm open to the idea, but I'm not a, uh, let's just, let's just say I'm skeptical. Yep. And last but not least, favorite place in the world and why? You know, I, uh, I love Tel Aviv. Um, I love Tel Aviv because it's on the beach. Uh, so I love the beach. Uh, I love the the people that are in Tel Aviv. Um, it's, it's got such an incredible vibe. Um, it's, it's got a, a, a very uh, kind of uh, rich, uh, diversity, much more diverse than the rest of Israel, much more uh, kind of very open-minded, uh, a lot of positive energy, great music, unbelievable food. Um, so would highly recommend uh, anyone who has a chance to go there. Yeah, I've not, I've not been there. I've, I've heard good things. I've definitely uh, one that I'll, I'll try and get to soon. Uh, well, <laughs> hopefully maybe this, this year people will start traveling again. Um, well, thanks, Rob. That, uh, that was really interesting. It was great to get your insight on that. Um, actually, I have one, one last question. Um, there was a feature that, that I thought was really good. It's actually it's actually how I originally found your platform was through Howard Lindzen. Um, he shared his watch list. Can you follow his watch lists? I thought that was a really, I'd not seen that before. And um, it's it, with the latest update, it disappeared. I was just wondering if that was coming back. We sort of tried to uh, secretly pull it out of there. No, uh, a lot of people noticed because it was a very widely used feature. So the backstory is we had this big upgrade that we were working on last year. And part of the upgrade was rebuilding how dashboards and, and watch lists were, were designed. And so we had to rip it out and start it from scratch. Uh, and because that big upgrade was was delayed and delayed and delayed, at some point we had to say, all right, we have to kind of like get it out uh, and we can't build new functionality. And so unfortunately, yeah. we had to release that new functionality without the sharing feature. Yeah. But that's something that we want to bring back very soon. And that's something that's been frequently asked of us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. Excellent. Excited to see that again. Yeah, I'd just like to finish as well, but just I highly recommend uh, people check out the Coifin platform. It's it's definitely one of the best or the, the best in the space. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say before you sign off, Rob? Uh, no, just be kind to each other. That's it. Okay. Um, and just quickly, where can our listeners go? Uh, are you active on, on, on Twitter at all? Or, or do you read any um, blogs on, on Coifin? Yeah, so I definitely on Twitter. So uh, the uh, the handle that I tweet under is our company handle, which is Coifin Charts. Um, so I'll I'll put ideas on there. Um, uh, I I do have an interview on YouTube that I do every two weeks. Um, so you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, um, and hopefully we'll be putting out a lot more content, both uh, educational on how to use the platform, 
um, and a lot more market market content this year as well. Cool. Cheers, Rob. Uh, hopefully uh, catch up with you again soon. Awesome, Ed. Thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for listening, everyone. Just a quick note before we sign off. If you're looking for an easily digestible daily update on the markets, this might be of interest. Opto Updates is our short newsletter sent every day during the trading week, giving you a bulleted list of the top seven stories from the global stock markets. We've done the hard work for you, highlighting relevant opportunities and trends. And in addition, we'll also keep you notified of any new products, stock reports or webinars from the Opto world. If you're interested, sign up using the link in the show notes. And thanks also to Co-Fruition for consulting on and producing the show. Until next time.